empty lives All around we know We could live pursuing power Thinking pleasure satisfies God's light cuts through the shadows Revealing they're just lies We stand on what is timeless We stand on what is true Let's take our Bibles today. Turn over the book of Genesis, chapter 25. Genesis, chapter 25. This morning, if somehow you think because I was awarded an honorary doctorate degree, the preaching will be any better, you're wrong. <laughs> it's not going to get any better. Probably get worse now. You never know. <laughs> Genesis, chapter 25. Genesis, chapter 25. Boy, what a great group that went up there. I know so many more of you wanted to be there that just couldn't be because of schedule. I understand all that. I, I didn't expect anybody to go up there, really. I, I really didn't. And I uh, was just amazed. And we had such a great time there. And then on the way back, we were able to eat at a place called Culver's. And I like Culver's. And we had a good time there. And uh, just uh, an opportunity to fellowship a little bit along the way. But uh, the Lord was good. And uh, certainly thank you for your prayers and your support. And it's been a blessing. And again, um, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk a little more tonight. But God is good. And we certainly thank Him. Let's take our Bibles, as we said, Genesis 25. We're going to begin reading in verse 19 tonight, uh, this morning, excuse me, uh, verse 19. 
we'll start there, and then we'll uh, run through uh, that. I, I don't know if I want to read all that or not, really. It's tough to read the older you get, and I that I'm a doctor. <laughs> all right, let's try it anyway. Chapter 25, verse 19. And these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If it be so, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. That's a good place to start, isn't it? Inquire of the Lord. We, we are quick to read self-help books and manuals and go to all kind of other uh, sources or resources. A good place to start is to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said unto her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment. They called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out. His head took hold, uh, excuse me, his hand took hold on Esau's heel. And his name was called Jacob. And Israel was threescore years old when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau, because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. What profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils. He did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Thus Esau despised his birthright. When we look at this particular passage, of course, we are introduced to two young men, and of course, they're two different kind of men. One's an outdoorsman, the other one's kind of an indoorsman. One is loved by the father, maybe a little bit more because of his desire to be out in the fields, and hunting and doing the manly kind of deal there. Uh, the other one is more of a stay-home kind of guy. He's not as much into killing animals and that kind of thing. And Mama kind of likes him a little more, loves him a little more in that regard. And whether or not there was, uh, I mean, there's obviously competition here. There's some things that were going on. But we know there are two different men here, two different types of people and two different, um, ultimately, two different um, directions that life will go for both of these. Um, we're, we read about something called pottage here. It said Jacob sawed pottage. And pottage was a type of food. It was made of meat that was boiled to softness in water. So you'd boil the meat in the water. Usually some vegetables, sweet herbs were added to it. It became kind of what, like a stew or possibly a very thick type of soup. And so we see this pottage. 
We know that ultimately Esau, the elder brother, by just a few moments, he comes from the field and he's starving. He, in his own mind, he's going to die. He can't, he can't make it. He's so hungry. He has to eat something immediately. And uh, he needed a fourth meal. You know, Taco Bell's fourth meal at night. You know, he's just starving. He has to have that fourth meal, you know. And uh, so nonetheless, he, he comes in and he, he sees the food simmering and cooking and he talks to his brother Jacob and says, hey, let me eat. You know, I could use something to eat. And I don't know how this all works out. I mean, if I was big and strong like Esau, I'd probably just knock my brother down and took the food. I wouldn't have sold nothing to him. Uh, at least that's how brothers usually do it. But nonetheless, uh, he says, uh, let me have something to eat. And Jacob basically says, well, sell me your birthright. Now, I, I don't get that personally. I, I mean, that, that's amazing. And I, I mean, it kind of goes to that last line over there in verse 34 when it says he despised his birthright. Obviously, he didn't think a whole lot of it. And so, you know, sell me your birthright. And before it's all said and done, he sells him his birthright for this pottage. Now, what was a birthright? Well, by definition, a birthright is any right or privilege to which a person is entitled by birth. Now, that would be, it's very basic, a right or a privilege to which a person is entitled by birth, such as a, a state descendable by law to an heir or civil liberty under a free constitution, we may say. Esau, in this case, despised his birthright. We notice over in the book of Hebrews, it mentions it again. Such a major decision in his life, such an important part of his life that it's mentioned again in the book of Hebrews. But again, it's a privilege. It's a right which a person is entitled by birth. Esau had a birthright. And Esau's birthright was the privilege of the firstborn. Because he was firstborn, he had the birthright. And that means that he was the rightful heir to head of the household. He would become head of the household. In those days, you know, they kind of worked together as a team, if you will. Families lived together, and they, they, they may have multiple, you know, tents set up in the same area, and they, 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 they were kind of communal almost in their living. So sons would marry, and then bring their families, and they would all live together in a certain specific area. And, and in this particular case, Esau was the rightful head of the household as a result of this birthright. He, he would ultimately take his place as spiritual head of the home. He would receive the blessing from his father and even lead his family in worship. I mean, this was all part of the birthright. He would be the recipient of a very special blessing from God. And here, here it is, a very special blessing from God, the privilege of having the Messiah in his bloodline. I mean, this was Esau. I mean, he had a, a birthright because he was the firstborn. And boy, that was a very important position, a very important thing. And it was not to be despised. And yet the Bible tells us that Esau despised his birthright. When we say the word despise, what we're talking about is to condemn or to scorn, to disdain, to have the lowest opinion of. He had a very low opinion of this birthright. He didn't think a whole lot of it. He didn't consider it to be very valuable in his eyes or in his sight. Esau, we could ask, what was it about your birthright that you so despised? I mean, why did you hate so much? What did you hate so much about receiving special blessings from God? About leading your family in worship? About having Christ as your offspring one day? What, what, why did that... Why did you despise that so much? Why did you hate that so much? I mean, how could you sell it for just a bowl of soup? How could you do that? However, before we point a finger at Esau, before we discard him in disdain and in disgust, 
Before we cast him under the bus, so to speak, or cast the first stone, let's take a moment and consider our situation. We, we are the children of God today. And as the children of God, guess what we possess? A birthright. In the book of John, chapter 1, verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. We became the sons of God the moment we received and accepted Jesus Christ into our life as Savior. In John chapter 3, verse 3 through 7, we could read about the new birth. The Bible teaches that we are born again. And what it means is that we're born into a spiritual family, the family of God. And God is now our Father. We read about that over in the book of Romans chapter 8, verse 15 through 17, when the Bible says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again unto fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with them, that we may be able also, that we may be also glorified. You and I are recipients of a birthright. And our newfound faith has solidified a union between us and God. We are now the heirs to His goodness, to His blessings, to His eternal reward. Esau, he was the son of Isaac. And he had a birthright. You and I are the children of God. We also have a birthright. A birthright, as we said, is any right or privilege to which a person is entitled by birth. So very quickly, what privileges or rights do we now possess as a result of our new birth or our sonship? Well, we're going to talk about that, and then we're going to make an application this morning. But before we do, let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the opportunity that we have to gather here today. Lord, in this room, there's probably uh, a number, uh, well, more than not, those that have or claim to be saved, that have trusted Christ or received the Lord as Savior, making them your children, meaning that you're their father, and they have a birthright. Lord, we're going to discuss very quickly that birthright and then consider uh, a, a couple of thoughts along with it. Now, Lord, there may be those who have yet to receive and accept Jesus Christ in this room. And, Lord, before we leave today, I pray that they would truly receive him, that they would not allow themselves to go or leave this place without contemplating sin and the need for a Savior, without making a decision to accept and receive Christ into their life as their Lord and Savior. Father, please do your perfect work in our hearts. May your Holy Spirit fill me. May be your mouthpiece today. Lord, may you take these simple principles and may we have them embedded in our hearts and our lives and may we think of them and remember them always. And Lord, may we honor you with our life and lips today. Bless us. We need you. We invite you here today in Christ's name. Amen. So first of all, what privileges and rights do we now possess as a result of that new birth or that sonship? Well, first of all, we as believers have this wonderful privilege and right of fellowship with Christ or a conscious awareness of God in our life. That, that's, a, that's a privilege. That's a right that we have. A fellowship with Christ. He is God in flesh. We can fellowship with God today as a result 
of our relationship with God, as a result of being the child of God, we have this one-on-one, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A very conscious awareness of God in our life. See, when Adam sinned, of course, we know his fellowship with God was broken. And he was no longer able to walk with God in the garden. No longer able to fellowship with his creator. But instead, he was expelled from the garden. He was kept from the very presence of God. When you and I are born into the family of God, when we receive Christ as our Savior, God becomes our Father, and we now are filled with hope. And that relationship that was lost in Eden is restored to us today through the blood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14, would you look there, please? Notice what the Bible says. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. The Bible teaches that we're born into this world without God and without hope. But thank God that doesn't have to remain that way. Notice it says in Ephesians 2, 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ, for He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. The Bible says that when we're born into this life, we are born without Christ, we are without hope, and without God in the world. And that is a reality that we must embrace and accept today in the world in which we live. Everywhere we go, everyone we meet is either as a relationship with Jesus Christ or they are without God and without hope in this world in which we live. So intimate is this relationship with Christ that he vows to be with us forever. From the very moment we receive him, we are indwelt by him. He lives in us. John 14, 20. That at that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. In the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, the Bible says, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? He lives in you. He lives in me today. The moment you trust Christ and receive Him, you enter into an intimate relationship with the God of heaven, the creator of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, and He lives and reigns in your life. That fellowship that was lost in the garden can be restored. And we can once again walk in the cool of the day and experience that sweet fellowship with God continually. This is one of the great privileges of our birthright. Not only that, but... We are provided and given, as a result of our birthright, guidance and leadership from God. Guidance and leadership from God. In the book of John, chapter 16, verse 13, the Bible says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth, for He shall not speak of Himself, but whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will shew you things to come. See, God will set the course of our life. He provides us with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, who is our guide. He is our strength. He gives us wisdom. He enables us to go the right direction. And God leads us and directs us through Him and His Word. He'll order your footsteps if you'll permit Him to. The Bible says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delighteth in His way. See, God takes great pleasure in leading and guiding us today. 
He has such high expectations and hopes for your life today. I don't know what you hope to accomplish. I don't know what you want to do in your life or with your life, but I know God has a tremendous plan, and He wants to do something miraculous in your life and through your life. The key is allowing Him to order our steps. The beginning of our bus ministry years ago, when it first started, my brother looked over a bus for us. He had been a mechanic for years, and we had originally, I thought about buying a van, but they were just too expensive, and the gentleman at the dealership said, hey, you know what, I, I know you're talking about wanting to get kids to Sunday school, and I have a wife, and she's uh, on the booster club over at the Ellett High School, and Ellett High School has a bus that they're selling from the booster club because they can't afford to run it anymore, and uh, they're trying to sell it for 2500 bucks. He goes, I mean, this van over here, you're looking at $16,000, and you can only bring in about fourteen or fifteen. You can get that bus, you can bring in about forty or fifty, maybe seventy or eighty. And I said, I know what you're talking about. I said, let me give it some time. I'll pray about it and think about it. Prayed about it a while and thought, well, at least we might as well go over and look at it. And so we took uh, uh, my brother, who was a mechanic, and, and uh, myself and my father-in-law. We went over there and looked at the bus. And boy, I tell you what, he took a look over the bus, and he said, man, I, I think it's a pretty good bus for the price. I, I really don't see anything wrong with it. I think it, it runs good, and it's, it's pretty solid. I, I think you'd, it'd be good. It's a good bus. Paid 2500 for that bus, and you know what? It ran for 10 years. 10 years it ran. Prayed about it. God gave me the go-ahead. We pulled the trigger on it, and 10 years later, we're still running it. You know, his leadership will take you through every corner and every storm. It'll get you around the curves of life. You got to follow the Lord, though. You got to listen to God. You got to safely follow Jesus Christ. It was a Thursday at a camp that we were headed to, and uh, we often went to Shawnee, uh, Shawnee Indian Creek Baptist Camp. That's what it was. And so we're there at Indian Creek Baptist Camp, and on a Thursday, this great storm, I mean, this storm just blew in. I mean, it was an unbelievable kind of storm. I mean, the chairs were just kind of flying off the, uh, you know, off the, um, up from underneath the, the, the tabernacle. Thank you. I'm a, I'm a doctor now. I need help. So anyway... Um, they're flying out from underneath the tabernacle and all that stuff. And, and um, it was amazing. You know, tops of the trees were just like bending down toward the ground. And I was like, man, this is unbelievable. But all those teenagers and all of us, God took care of us and he brought us through. You know, I know that things happen in life that are unexpected. I know tragedies come. But how many times has God truly brought us through things like that? Amen. See, God may guide you around some of the storms of life, but He'll also get you through some. And you know what? That's what God wants to do. That's part of our birthright. That's part of the birthright. Psalms 109 verse 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. What a wonderful benefit afforded to the child of God. What a birthright we have. Power over sin. That's part of our birthright. Victory, if you will. We could boil it down to one word. Victory. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. You know, every one of us, there's no doubt, face temptation on a regular basis. One of our birthrights is that God will deliver us. God will enable us to overcome temptation, to be victorious in temptation. And you say, man, I fail temptation all the time. That's because you're trying to overcome it in your own strength. We can't do it. 
We can't be victorious over sin in our life. You and I have no power over sin at all. He has the power over sin. We've got to depend on Him and allow Him to work in our life. And we yield to Christ. He, through that birthright and that opportunity to overcome sin in our life, will give us victory. You need power of God. You need the power of God, and so do I. In 1 John 4, 4, it says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. Isn't it amazing to think that, for instance, just say that I had a... Um, a pocket full of money. Say I had a $100 bill on me right now. No, some of you would probably come up here and knock me down, take it and run out the door. But so I had a $100 bill in my pocket right now. And, and I, I went down to the, say I went down to the McDonald's and I said, boy, I, I tell you what, I sure wish I could buy me a, a Big Mac meal. Or I wish I could buy me a quarter pound meal, but I just, I just don't have the money. Now, wait a second. I, I obviously forgot what I got in my pocket, don't, didn't I? I mean, I, I ain't got a dime on me. I'm broke. I can't afford even a hamburger. All along, I got a $100 bill in my pocket. And that's how the Christian is sometimes. We run around with all this power that God's already given us. According to 1 John 4, 4, Ye of God, little children, and have overcome them. Ye have overcome them. Ye have overcome them. Because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And yet we go around going, I can't overcome this sin. It's got me, it's got me baffled. I can't deal with it. I'm forever being victimized by this temptation. I can't deal with it. And the whole long, God's going, you got a $100 bill in your pocket. Don't you realize you can? Don't quit making excuses. Just use it. So many are enslaved by vice in our generation. Many find themselves powerless to desire and lust. We possess the Spirit of God. We possess the Word of God. We do have victory in Christ. That's part of our birthright. Comfort. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 4, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort who comforted us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. We're provided comfort. We're provided peace. We're provided hope. Those are all elements of our birthright. And as children of God, we have a wonderful birthright. Fellowship with God, guidance and leadership, power over sin and and victory, comfort, peace, and hope. This is our birthright in Christ Jesus. Esau was the possessor of a wonderful birthright also. I mean a wonderful birthright. Remember, he'd be the spiritual head of the home. He would lead his family in worship. He'd receive a special blessing from his father. He'd acquire great prosperity and power as a result of this birthright that he possessed. He would even have had the privilege of being in the line of the Messiah, the bloodline of Christ, if indeed he was that particular one. But you know what he did? He sold. He sold the birthright. He exchanged it for a bowl of soup. Isn't that amazing? We would all agree that he threw it away. I mean, he threw away much for little. Isn't that amazing? He threw away much for little. And you know what? If you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we can fall into the same trap. We can do the same thing. The blessings of God, the 
characteristics of his birthright were guaranteed only in obedience toward God. That's how ours is obedience to God. We have to follow the Lord. We have to allow him to express and demonstrate this in our life. Oh, it's ours already, but we have to use it. We have to apply it. We have to permit God to demonstrate it in our life. We have to pull it out and say, here it is. And I'm putting it on the table. I'm not leaving it somewhere locked in a closet. I'm not putting it under the bed. I'm not leaving it in a closed Bible on my coffee table. I'm using it. When one despises, neglects, or rejects biblical directives, he or she, in a sense, is forfeiting their right to their birthright. When you don't apply the Word of God in your life, when you don't allow it to be real in your life, you're denying or forfeiting the right of your birthright. What is the price in which you'll forfeit these and other privileges for? I mean, what price will you sell your birthright for? What price will you sell your fellowship with God for? Your power over sin, your, that guidance that He provides us, the comfort, peace, and hope that's yours. What will a man give up? For so little. Esau sold it for a bowl of soup. He gave it up for a bowl of pottage. I wonder today, is your birthright for sale? I mean, what's your price? How much are these privileges worth to you? In class this morning, I mentioned something. I said, if we took $100,000 here, and we put the Bible here, 100000 here, Bible here. Choose whichever one you want. What would you choose? Oh, I'd choose the Bible. Okay. Yeah, it's easy when there's no 100000 sitting there. $100,000, cold cash, sitting right there. Which one would you take? Oh, no, you have to give up your Bible. Or you can have $100,000 clear and free. No IRS, no taxes, nothing. Let me tell you something. We start thinking about choices in life, then all of a sudden we put a price on some things. So the Bible, I could give the Bible up for 100000 I wouldn't give the Bible for 100000 but I might give it up for 500000 I might give it up for a million. I'm just saying when we start thinking about things, we, we like to say, oh, I'd never give up that or never give up that. or never, Hey, wait a second. Let me ask you something. Somebody, somebody says, oh, you can have a brand new house. I mean, one of those nice $250,000, $300,000 homes even. You just have to give up going to church. Where you meet with God. Where you grow in Christ. Where you're encouraged in the things of Christ. Where you're exhorted, educated in the, the Word of God. Oh, okay, Brand new house, $250,000, $300,000, right there it is. Yours, free and clear. Or you can go ahead and or you have to give up church. One of the two, you have your church or you can have that. Which will it be? Choice, make a decision. We say, oh, well, I obviously choose church. I really choose church. I, really? I'm just asking a question. I want you to be honest today. In your own mind, what's a price? Do you have a price for those, this birthright? You say, well, church ain't part of the birthright. 
It isn't. Do you really think that when the Lord says that you can't forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching, that you can truly find comfort, peace, and strength in these last days and end times without the house of God when he says it's so important? It's part of the birthright. Do you have a price, though? I've watched them come and go. Maybe you have, too. Folks get saved, and they're right with God. They experience the manifold blessings of God. I mean to tell you, they revel in their birthright. They're so excited, and they, they enjoy the true joy and the peace and the happiness that comes as a result of a decision for Christ. Then something happens. You want to know what happens? Life. Life happens. Life happens. It's no big secret. Life happens. And the newness wears off. And trials come into their life. And the needs abound in their home and their life and their finances. And like Esau, like Esau, they can only see the present. They only, their sight is limited to the here and now. They can't see afar off. They can't see the end, only the immediate. And all of a sudden, they're hungry. And they say, I'm so hungry I'll die if I don't get. I mean, I'm so needy. I'm so desperate. And all of a sudden, in a moment, in the midst of that desperation, they consider their birthright of little value. That's what Esau did. Remember what it says about Esau. It said, And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? What good's a birthright if I'm dead? What good's a birthright if I, I don't live till tomorrow or if I don't live to see it? I mean, Dad, okay, he's not doing great, but he'll probably linger on for how long? And here I am, waiting for the birthright? Are you kidding? I might as well get something now. He gave up the birthright because he couldn't see past today. And so often as believers, the reason I see folks come and go from time to time is because they can't see past today. And they think, oh, heaven's a long ways off. Death is a long ways off. Dealing with God's a long ways off. I've got needs today. I've got hurts today. I've got requirements today. I've got responsibilities today. So if I can have this need met, I'll sell the birthright. It is that simple. And yet it's that tragic as well. So they begin to disregard the word of God and the house of God. They become distracted with life. They permit their needs, their expectations, their desires, and their longings to overshadow their birthright. They lose sight of the Lord and His manifold blessings. Pretty soon they're out of church and missing in action. You approach them. And, and they're quick to tell you that they miss everyone and that they want to get back. 
Oh, yeah, they, they're, oh, uh, it's, it's nothing against you, Pastor. It's nothing against the people. It's nothing against, uh, we love the church, and, and we enjoy the services, and we've, we have a good time there. We just, we got to get back. We got to get back. They express how wonderful a time in God's house, amidst God's people it was. They speak of how much better they felt and how much better they were doing when they were faithful. So what's the problem? Well, it may appear to them and maybe even to others, you, myself, who knows, that they've just quit coming to church. But that's only part of the story. The real problem is that they've despised their birthright. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just, it's a biblical principle. It's a biblical principle. They despised the birthright. They traded the many privileges that they possessed as a believer for the bondage of sin. They traded steak for a bowl of soup. They somehow saw the house. They somehow saw the money. They somehow saw the things of the world. And said, right now, that's more important than the birthright. They count the birthright of little effect. Is your birthright for sale this morning? If so, what's your price? I purchased a guitar while I was in Germany. I had looked one for one on the market and it just didn't work out and I, there was a fellow that was there another soldier and he had this beautiful Ibanez guitar Ibanez guitars are pretty decent guitars and he had it cased it and all that and he was selling his guitar and I went and looked at the guitar after not being able to buy a brand new one out on the market and I said man this is a nice guitar how long you had it about six months I see anything wrong with it no I checked it out it seemed to be perfectly fine to me boy I'll tell you what I ended up buying that guitar and it was a nice guitar, a nice case. I took it back to my room, and it was just a few weeks later or so, this fellow shows back up at the door. He says, hey, man, you still got that guitar? I said, of course I got the guitar. He said, listen, man, I, I, got, I was in a bad time. I was in a bad spot, man. I owed people some money, and, man, I sold that guitar to you, and I regret selling that guitar to you. And, man, I want to, will you let me buy it back? I'll give you 25 extra bucks. I said, No not for sale. It's not for sale. Oh, I'll give you 50 extra bucks, man. I can't go much more than that, but 50 extra bucks. I said, no, that's 50 bucks you'll make in two weeks, man. That's great. I said, listen, it's not for sale. Not discussing it, not talking about it. I wanted the car. That's why I bought the guitar. You should have thought of that before you sold it. It's mine now, and it ain't for sale. No price. Too often, as believers, we sell the birthright, and then we do regret it. We want it back. I'm not saying that God's not a God of second chances, and I'm not saying that God can't forgive you and restore you. I'm not telling you some of that, but let me tell you something. There's a lot of hurt and heartache and a lot of regret that goes with selling the birthright. The Bible says that Esau sought it with tears. He didn't find it again. 
I'll tell you this. If you even consider, if you would even allow the thought to come into your mind that I might be willing to sell the birthright, I promise you the devil's going to make an offer. He'll make an offer. And let me tell you, his resources are pretty unlimited. I mean, he is the God of this world, right? Money, possessions, power, notoriety, position. What's your birthright worth? I mean, will you sell your birthright for a girlfriend? A boyfriend. I mean, we put a beautiful woman, a beautiful young lady over here on this side, and we put the birthright, the word of God, the house of God, the work of God over here. Which one will it be? You have that or that? What will it be, young man, with needs in your life, desires in your heart? Which will it be? Well, I don't know, man. I need some pottage right now. I'm, I'm starving. I'm dying. This is a tough decision. Really? You know why it's a tough decision? Because you made it a decision. Because, because you put a for sale sign on it. You put a for sale sign on that thing. And let me tell you, the, the, the God of this world is going to show up and he's going to make an offer. He'll make an offer. And let me tell you something. He makes pretty good offers. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a job. But it pays twice as much as I make now. Well, are you going to have to forfeit your birthright? You're going to have to stop uh, having time to be involved in the house of God, the work of God, the things of God? You're going to have to give up your Bible reading and prayer? I ain't got time to read and pray no more, preacher. I'm working 12 hours a day, and when I come home, man, i got responsibilities at the house, and i got all this stuff going on. You sold your birthright. You sold it. You despised it. And the problem is, is that you put it up for sale to begin with. When really you should have said, no, this birthright's for good. I ain't even, it's never going to go for sale. It's so good, it's for good. It's not for sale, it's for good. See, that's what it ought to be. Uh, maybe, maybe, I don't know, maybe not a, maybe it's not going to be a girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe it's not a job. Maybe it's not a position or maybe it's not popularity. Maybe it's not recognition or, I don't know, maybe it's, Maybe it's comfort and ease. Maybe it's a vice in your life. Maybe it's alcohol, drugs, or pornography, or immorality. I'm going to tell you something. If you even consider selling, the devil's going to make a proposition. He's going to make an offer. And let me tell you, he makes some pretty good offers at least temporal offers, immediate offers. And just like Esau, who said, man, what good's the birthright do? I'm dying over here. I've got to eat something. My needs are so great right now. What's the point of waiting around? I'll never see it anyway. Boy, do I see that sometimes in believers' lives. Well, I've been praying, and I'm not seeing nothing. God's not meeting my needs, and things aren't going the way I should. I've been praying for a husband for the last five years. I've been praying for a girlfriend the last two years. I've been praying for a better job, and I've been praying to a nice house, and I've been praying for a good family, and I've been praying for children to come, and I've been praying, God ain't doing nothing. What's the point of waiting around? I need it now. 
We despise the birthright. We put it up for sale. And the devil makes an offer. And then we go, what happened to so-and-so? What's going on in their life now? And we see their Facebook posts, the misery they're dealing with. And we go, oh, they despise the birthright. And you know what? We don't have to dig for things today, do we? We just have to see it because they share it with everybody. Let me give you a piece of advice. It's nothing to do with the message. Don't share your woes on Facebook. Nobody cares anyway. I mean, are you kidding me? Had a bad dinner last night. Who cares? Had a fight with my husband. Please keep that to yourself. You know, I mean, what, what is wrong with us? You know? And people, oh, I, everybody knows what's going on in my life. Everybody's talking about me. Everybody's, all this gossip going on at the church. Gossip at the church? Just open Facebook up. Amen. You kidding me? Don't need to gossip. Don't even, man, we're trying to close our eyes. We're defriending or whatever they call that. I like Monopoly. I'm one of those guys, I, I, I'm a glutton for punishment. I like Monopoly. And um, when you play Monopoly, you know how it is. It's cutthroat. I don't care if it's with six-year-olds. It's cutthroat. I'm going to win. And I, I remember as a kid even playing. And I still remember my, my mom and dad, you know, um, we'd, we'd play that game. And my mom wouldn't play. She finally, she just couldn't handle it. And my dad, you know, he had to win, and I had to win, and I was at least four, and he was like 34, and I, I just, I, 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 you know, I just had to win, so to speak, and we'd get into these, I mean, it would just get ugly. And my mom would be like, would you just quit playing? This is ridiculous. And I'm, we're like, we're on, we're fine. <laughs> and man, we were playing, I mean, it was serious business, because man, if I could win at that game, I knew I was going to be rich the rest of my life, because it was just a prelude to real finance. And I mean to tell you, we'd play and play. And I was one of those guys that always wanted boardwalk or park and park place. I, I, I mean, I, I was really, that's not very wise. There's only two spots on the entire board. But it does seem people land on those a lot. And so I always wanted park place and boardwalk. I really made it my goal when I started a game to own park place and boardwalk. And if I got a park place or a boardwalk, either one, let me tell you something. You were not going to buy that from me. That was never for sale, ever. Because I wanted it. I'd hold back cash, and we'd take time. We'd break in the middle of the game, you know, of course, and we'd try to lure people in. I'll tell you what, I'll give you these two properties and $500 for this portal. And, you know, all that stuff, you know, we'd negotiate, you know. I would never sell it. Never. It's not for sale. And may I say, that's how we need to treat our birthright today. It's never for sale. It's not even an option. That peace, the power, the joy, the hope... That, that fellowship with God that we can experience and that we have, that, the fact that we have that wonderful, intimate relationship, let's not put that on the seller's block. Let me close by asking you a question. If you despise your birthright, 
what will you have to pass down or leave to your children? Esau's decision affected his children. It affected every generation after that even. It affected every generation. Hey, Esau, what are you going to give your children? Esau, don't you realize you could have passed down the birthright? You could have offered your children this great blessing from God. You could have offered them spiritual leadership of the home, prosperity from the Lord, and even being a part of the Messiah's bloodline. But Esau, you despised it. And instead, you sold it for a bowl of soup. The soup's gone now, Esau. What do you have for your children? Nothing. As moms and dads, as grandmas and grandpas, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, you and I have a responsibility to pass down this blessed birthright. What will you pass down to your children? Is your birthright for sale today? If you sell it, what are you going to leave to your children? Let's make the decision today, not for sale, but for good. This birthright's for good. It's not on the seller's block. It's not even an option. I'm not going to give away my Bible. I'm not going to give away my relationship with the Lord. I'm not going to give away the house of God. I'm not giving away the blessings and the birthright that God has so blessed me with as a child of His, as an heir of His. I wonder if you're saved today. Have you been included in God's family through the new birth? But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Has there been a time in your life when you remember admitting your guilt before God, that you're the sinner that he died for in Calvary, that you deserve to go to that place called hell, that he created just for the devil and his angels, that you can't make it to heaven on your own, by your own merit, your own strength, your own ability. You have to have him who died for you on Calvary. Only he could wash you from your sin. Only he could cleanse you from unrighteousness. Only he could give you that home in heaven. Did you make that decision? Yes, Lord, it's you I need. And it's you I trust to get me to heaven one day. Not myself, but you. That's a decision you need to make today. And then you too can have this wonderful birthright. It can be yours for the asking today. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for just the privilege that we have to gather here today and